Hello, hello, and welcome to the Research at Scale podcast. This podcast is all about research ops and how to successfully make research happen at scale. My name is Roy Opata Olande, and I am your host. Every episode, I speak with folks in research ops and UX research to learn how they're scaling research in their companies. We talk about process, lessons learned, and of course, we're going to have some fun along the way. In today's episode, I'm talking to Annie York. Annie leads research ops at Figma, and we'll be talking about how research ops expectations and responsibilities can vary depending on the company that you work in. Annie is a ton of fun. I had a great time chatting with her. As usual, I start off with a few questions to help us to get to know Annie before diving into research ops. So, Annie, a few quick questions for you. And the first one is very obvious because I asked, I already said it. What is your name? My name's Annie York. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I did, I did do the York bit, so that was informative. Uh, Annie, where do you work? I work at a company called Figma. And what's your role at Figma? I do research operations. Very nice. <laughs> Annie, which city do you currently live? I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, maybe a controversial question because I feel like in the South, tea is a thing. Maybe wrong. Do you prefer tea or coffee? <laughs> uh, definitely coffee. I've lived in the South the majority of my life, but I was born in California. So that's, that's how I justify it. <laughs> nice. All right. Cake or pie? Mm. Unfortunately, neither because I'm gluten intolerant. So I'll say a bowl of guacamole. Texting or talking on the phone? Oh, texting for sure. I don't know what it is. I like to talk to people, but yeah, texting. Annie, what's your favorite day of the week? Oh, God. Um, mm, Sunday, Sunday. Nice. Your favorite music artist right now? Oh, Rilla Montaigne. Rilla Montaigne. What kind of music is that? He's kind of like... I don't even know how to describe him, Jeez Louise. Like, folksy, but rock. Uh, man, I, I, I don't know, right? I gotta I have I a know. listen, basically. I gotta have a listen, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <okay>. yeah basically. <laughs> uh, are you more of the Avenger type person or a Star Wars type person? Uh, neither. I didn't really. Neither. Yeah. I mean, I'll, <laughs> hey, I'm game for anything, but I, I don't have a favorite. <laughs> cool. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Talk to animals, for sure. Annie, what's your favorite holiday destination? Oh, um, can I say like a cabin in the woods? Yeah. Yeah, I love nature. Yeah. And there I could talk to the animals. There you could talk to the animals. Oh, <laughs> double win. Are you more of an early morning person or a late night person? You know, before the pandemic, I was a late night person. But now that I have literally nothing to do, I go to bed at like nine. So I'm an early morning person now. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Smooth or crunchy peanut butter? Smooth. All the way. Ugh. Ooh. Crunchy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Dark chocolate or white chocolate? Dark chocolate. Yeah, white, white chocolate isn't chocolate, by the way. <laughs> Let's just make, make sure that's known widely. <laughs> All right. A house with a view of the mountains or a house with a view of the ocean? 
You know, I'm going to I'm going to go opposite. You thought I would say mountains, but I'm going to say ocean um because I just love the sound. It's what I listen to when I go to sleep. It's the sound of the ocean. I was like 95% sure you're going to the mountains with the <laughs> no. whole animal and like cabin in the woods thing. So you you definitely got me there. I know, you never know with me. Yeah. Annie, first celebrity crush. Oh, um oh jtt jonathan taylor thomas we were totally Ooh. gonna get married <laughs> <laughs> all right all right i think that's a popular one yeah jtt oh yeah broke a few hearts oh so many <laughs> all right and the last one favorite dessert i would say like an ice cream sundae without the brownie but just an ice cream ice cream like yeah, like Neapolitan with a whole bunch of sauces and stuff on it. Oh, it sounds that, really good. That sounds really good. It sounds really good. Like right now, I'm, yeah. the sunlight's coming through my window. Even though it's not really warm over here, it feels like it could be warm. And so a Sunday <laughs> feels a little appropriate. Oh, but man. And as just soon like, as I woke up, I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Like lay on the couch and just stuff your face with ice cream. That sounds really, really nice with the sun on yeah. your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thanks for indulging me there. Yeah. Um, so imagine that you are at a some sort of event, um, maybe a ice cream Sunday event of some sort <laughs> that maybe someone should start. Uh, and someone asks, "Hey, you know what? What do you do for a living? H- how do you answer that right now when people ask you that question?" Uh, well, I generally say um, I'm on the research team, but I'm not a researcher. But what I do is I try to make researchers' lives better and more efficient. <laughs> it's usually like the most concise way I can I can put what I do. Yeah. Have you had a previous version of that that you felt maybe didn't work as well? Or yeah, have you tried I, anything else? I I have a I have a tendency to just go into heavy detail when I don't need to, and so I try to like go into the very logistical explanations of all the like different things that I do, and I just really confuse mm-hmm. people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if uh, if you're anything like me, I'm pretty sure that like my parents and siblings. Um, s- still after years of being <laughs> in this sort of work, just have no idea. The, the, the amount of explanations I've given them is, is, is ridiculous now. Oh my um, God. I'm not yes. sure if you've had the same experience. Yes. I was just home uh, for Thanksgiving and my dad asked me probably for the fourth time within like two months. <laughs> so, so this is what you do, right? And I'm like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> so I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> that's too good yeah i feel like that's pre- it's pretty common in in our field but yeah. it's always nice it's always nice to laugh about it um jumping back a little bit you know say when you're finishing school like what, what was yeah what did you really want to do when you when you're sort of leaving school um because i'm pretty sure none of us thought we'd get into research ops what was no. what was your original intention Yeah, so I went to school uh, for theater. So uh, I moved to Atlanta uh, to do an acting internship. So I was planning on being a theater artist. (laughs) Wow, okay. From theater to research ops, this is is a path that I am intensely curious (laughs) to learn about. Okay, so I'd... In as much as you can in in the next few seconds or minutes, could you walk me through 
each one of those steps. You know, <laughs> I want to be in theater, and then something happened, and you started something else, and then I'm guessing something happened, and you started something else, and then eventually, here you are explaining to your father that you had recent jobs. <laughs> what, what was that path? Yeah, so um, like you said, I did a an acting work, a, internship, and um, you know and that was great. And I and I started doing work professionally. Um, and I was getting jobs all the while. I was um, you know classic actor job waiting tables to actually um, pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know waiting tables, uh, it's I res- I have mad respect for waiters and waitresses, but it is a hard job and it doesn't necessarily give you the type of income for the certain type of living standard that you might want. So mm-hmm. I had a friend that I was working with uh, who uh, w- had found a job at my previous company um, as a developer and we'd always like kind of looked after each other. So um, he recommended me for customer service. And so mm-hmm. I started working in customer service and um, yeah, and I, I have always kind of found myself to be a, um, a Jill, if you will, of all trades. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I can do a lot of things like kind of well. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, so customer service led into, um, there was, they, we didn't have sales at the time, but it led into like this uh, cold calling position or whatever. So I did that for a while and then that wow. was terrible. And so then I moved into sales. Um, and I was really good at sales, but I, I really hate putting pressure on people to do things. So that didn't work out. Um, <laughs> and then there was like a little opportunity open on the marketing team to do some like customer experience work. So I did that. And then um, that was kind of coming to a close <laughs> in my journey. And the mm-hmm. product team, um, we had just started to build some new products. And so they wanted to talk to customers um, to get their thoughts. And Mm -hmm. so there was an opening for essentially what was a recruiter. And so I was brought on to that role. So that's what started it. And I started on that role as a recruiter, uh, started Googling a lot and looking into like, well, what is this operational Mm -hmm. thing for research and Mm -hmm. found the community, got really into it um, and then kind of developed research ops at that company from there on out. Very cool. So this was all... (laughs) That's like a, that's quite a journey in one company yeah. to come in as like, all right, some support stuff, some cold calling. Okay, <laughs> I'll do that. Um, jump onto the marketing side, jump into the product side. That's, that's a lot to navigate. Like, um, I mean, what was it, what was it, what was it like for you jumping around in all these roles? Um, it was really beneficial. Um, I, you know, the company I was at was at a stage where we were really young. Like I was in the first 50 people there when I first started in customer service. So um, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of flexibility uh, for growth and being able to get on the spot training, uh, on the spot job training. And they gave people allowances that didn't necessarily have the qualifications. So I was really grateful for the opportunity. Um, And I've always been someone that just you know, I bust my ass in anything that I do. So um, it was hard, and, but mm-hmm. it was always, I learned a little bit about a lot of different things, which I think that, you know, ended up really benefiting me with research ops where you're doing, especially research ops team of one, you're doing a little bit of a lot. <laughs> 
Yeah. And this is such a, I love this conversation because one of the questions I get a lot, and I'm sure you get asked this a fair amount is, you know, do I have to be a full, a full on UX researcher to get into research ops? And, and even people asking, I don't have experience in design ops, but I get questions about design ops. Do I need to be a designer? Uh, but you've come from this background that's really varied. I mean, you've you've really jumped around that organization and, and got exposure to so many different practices. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so I, I guess, you know, with people thinking about this and potentially jumping into a research ops role, your experience is, is really informative that like, you know, it doesn't, you don't really have to have a UX background. Um, you can jump into this with a skill set that's been acquired from a variety of roles. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to have um, an intense amount of curiosity. Um, and, and you know, if you have that curiosity, then you're going to go down, like research ops is, you know, there's so many different branches to it. And so, um, if you have that sense of curiosity, then you're going to go down and find uh, what you need to find out about each little path. Um, mm -hmm. And and also, I think you know having people skills is really helpful. So and 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 a lot of hard work. I don't know. There's so many different things that go into it. But yeah, you're absolutely right that you don't need like this formalized background uh, to be able yeah. to succeed in this field. Yeah. So, so you brought into the product team, and I think you said you're starting off sort of doing essentially recruiting. Yeah. Um, what was that role like? <laughs> I, <laughs> more mad respect for all the recruiters out there. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. It 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 was consuming. I mean, I basically uh, towards my towards the end of my time there, uh, recruiting was still taking up like seventy percent of my time. So. I wasn't able to do all the things that I wanted to do with scaling research ops um, just because I didn't have the bandwidth. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was good. But to be honest with you, like I it's not my favorite part of the job. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. It is. It's one of those I feel like uh, I don't know why they, this equivalent comes to my mind, but I think of uh, customer support roles and like recruiting where it's like really taxing it's yes. it's really tough work and quite underappreciated in terms oh, of the yeah. complexity and and the difficulty of, of doing that day in day out absolutely like people are you know people are people and um you're dealing with human emotions all the time and not only that but it's it's sometimes it's one of the first impressions someone is getting of the company and so you know, making sure that you're respecting the people that you're contacting, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and setting up, uh, setting up that impression to be a very positive one. I think that that's really important. And, and to your point, it's the same with customer support. So yeah, they're, they're very, very hard jobs, but very important jobs as well. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about this transition you went through from only doing recruiting to to doing more than that in in an ops role how did that come about really just out of uh well kind of two part i think i was about to say like really out of necessity um i think it was definitely out of necessity and also out of me just learning more about res what research ops 
uh, was. Um, mm -hmm. I attended a, a workshop, I think it was Strive. Uh, yeah, the, uh, a conference a couple years ago. And that's where I was introduced to Kate Towsey and, uh, you know, found out like learn more about what research ops could be. And I was really mm -hmm. inspired by that workshop and took back what I learned. And, but out of necessity, what I mean by that is, um, you know, we were starting to do all this research and it's like, where do we put the research? How do we make sure that we're being ethically responsible? How do we make sure that we're getting consent? You know, all these different things mm -hmm. just started coming up um, because our, the research we were producing started to scale very quickly. Yeah. Huh. So who, who are the people that you're holding, that you're having these conversations with, like, um, who was involved as, as you were sort of making, making the step towards a fully, maybe a fully formed research ops role? Yeah. So um, at that time, I was embedded on the UX team, actually. Um, or, well, the company I was at <laughs> didn't um, have a, a research team. So I came on and then they brought on or someone internally transitioned into like the only research role. We were both embedded onto the UX team. So these conversations I was having were with my manager uh, on the UX team, who was mm -hmm. a like a UX designer themselves. So not even okay. having like a you know formalized base of research. Yeah, wow. So you know you've you, you've gone to strive. You know you've you've met Kate Towsey. You know you're getting really excited about the potential in this role, and you're having conversations internally. I'm curious, actually, before I even get to that, did did your title change at any stage as you were making these transitions? Well, it was kind of the thing where you could just put your title to be whatever you wanted it to be. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, yep. Yeah. So I think, I can't remember what it originally was, but I eventually just changed it myself to um, like uh, research ops lead or something like that. I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. And, and, th and that's great. I know some companies it's like, you know, a 10 month process for your, uh, for your title to change. So I'm really glad you're able to, to get that sorted quick. Um, so <laughs> you change your title, you're, yeah. you're the research, research ops person for this yeah. company. What were, and I was especially curious around the time you've changed your title and fully embraced this or more fully em embraced this, what were your, what were your goals or what were you, what were you trying to accomplish yeah. uh, in that role? So what I was trying to accomplish actually very much got cut off because of the pandemic. But what I was trying to accomplish, like the next phase of what I was going to work on um, was going to be to try and integrate all of our customer communication into one data platform. So we were using Salesforce. That was, that's what the marketing team used, the sales team and customer service, like, which is pretty mm -hmm. amazing to have. Um, that many different uh, customer data streams, you know, filtering yeah. into one place. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so at that time I was, you know, recruiting and emailing out of Gmail. And so I wanted, I was working with the Salesforce team to um, our internal team to um, build out like an entire um, research participation system in Salesforce so that the, and the point was that so that when someone called into customer service or someone in sales talked 
to uh, a prospector or whatever, then they could see, oh, you participated in research and that we could just have a better um, uh, a better connection on how many times we were talking to people and what we were talking to people about. Yeah. Wow. And that, and like I said, that is, that is a, that is a dream. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And it, and it, you know, it's really unfortunate. I wasn't able to see that work out um, because, you know, the because of the pandemic, my company unfortunately had to furlough like 75% of the company in March. And I was part of that. So, which led me to my next job <laughs> ended up yeah. not being a bad thing, but you know, yeah. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, as you, you know, reflect on that, that first experience you had um, starting off doing recruiting, learning more about research ops and, you know, getting to this point where you are, really you know trying to achieve some some big impact across the company with this process and uh, and your goals uh, as you were you know transitioning into a, a new company i'm curious about what are some reflections you had from from your first experience did you did you walk away with like a few key things on your mind from that experience doing research ops for the first time yeah i think well it's it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to answer. I'm I'm I tend to be the kind of person that I don't really <laughs> learn from my experiences until I'm in another experience. <laughs> so um, I will say, like, I walked away from that experience thinking, "Wow, like this is the role for me. I get to you know take care of my team, which I love because I'm I'm a giver. Um, I get to be super task and detail oriented, which are my strengths." Um, and you know, and I get to like have instant gratification because I'm instantly helping people. So those are Mm -hmm. the things I walked away from, from that role. And, but what's been interesting is going into this new role. It's a completely different company. Um, the research there's, there is a research team and the research team is far more mature than the one I was coming from. So the expectations of my work are different. And so yeah. what I'm realizing now and learning now is some of the things that I was not required to know or not required, like I wasn't required to think on a certain level at the previous role that I am required mm-hmm. to now, which has been um, a, a bit hard. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's something new that I have to learn. So it's, mm-hmm. it, well, I think what I've realized is that not all research ops uh, roles are made the same. They can be very, very different depending on many yeah. different factors. Okay. Well, I'd love to get into some of these differences in, yeah. in more detail. Uh, maybe actually the first one is just thinking more structurally. In your new role at Figma, like how, where, wh- who do you report to? Like where does research ops live within the organization? Yeah, so the research ops, or sorry, well, I, 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 I'm embedded on the research team and the research okay. team is under the product world. Um, so okay. my, I, I report to the head of research. Okay. Yeah. Cause, and previously you reported into UX. I Correct. think you said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So firstly, in, in that sense, I guess, how, how different does that feel? Like what's the difference there reporting into UX versus reporting into research? Um, it's so for me, I think because, so the re first of all, the researchers 
uh, on the team at Figma do their own recruiting. <laughs> Hallelujah. Mm. So, <laughs> so because of that, it leaves me very open to do not as or to do more strategic work, not as tactile things, which is something that's very different for me. And because I'm such mm. a detail-oriented and meticulous person, sometimes that can be kind of the antithesis of like outcome or results driven thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very hard to switch your brain um, to being more outcome results driven. So something that's been driven, that's been different is like my manager, she's amazing and she's lovely and she's very high level. She's a very high level thinker. And so Mm -hmm. I have to meet her on that level which is something that I'm still working on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a very big difference in expectation. Like you said, you you came into that previous role originally doing recruiting and it seemed as though it was really you that was seeing opportunity and and driving this forward. Yeah. Um and really you got to determine the lay of the land in in a sense. Mm-hmm. And now you've come into a role where you're reporting into someone who's a high level thinker those folks who are doing research, at least a few of them, are the UXRs are doing their own recruiting. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of seems like you have a different job with the same, the same role, but a different job. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's definitely still very collaborative. And, and the first thing that I did when I got to Figma was sat down with all the researchers and picked their brains about, you know, what their roles were like, um, what things, what, tools or processes they wish were different or improved or didn't exist. So I kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, I wanted to understand like where their roadblocks were. Um, But what I've learned is, you know, I've, I've acted on those things and, and tried to, or improved some of those processes and in are still in the process of improving some of those things. But what I learned is it's um, so much more than, than like helping people put out everyday fires. It's about thinking more strategically and thinking about, uh, you know, six months down the road, what is our research team going to look like and what Mm -hmm. tools and processes are we going to need in order to meet those goals? So it's, it's much more longer term thinking rather than an everyday mentality, which has been really different. How much work do you do? How much collaboration with folks outside of UX research? Like, do you have other people on the team, designers, product managers, marketers who are doing user research um, and and have any sort of collaboration or, um, or working agreement with you? So I don't, I, for myself, for ops, I don't um, really work with, with any other teams. The researchers, however, mm-hmm. um, do. They, they cover specific areas of the product. And so within those teams, they have a core pod of, a product manager, an engineer, designer that are very involved in the research um, that goes on for that particular area. Okay. All right. Yeah. So more, more of an Im- embedded type, yeah, type model for, exactly. for the researchers. Yeah. Okay. Do you, I guess, do you, do you ever envision that uh, that would change? Like well, one of the things I think about when I think about different orgs and different models is how much the work of research ops changes based on you know who you're serving right mm-hmm. um and there's definitely companies that start in a certain way and maybe change it um do you for, ever foresee that changing which i guess would change your role or <laughs> does it seem as though like this this is sort of seems like we're going to be we're going to be in this model for the foreseeable future yeah actually um uh 
Good question, because uh, one of the things that um, I'm starting to work on now and um, will heavily be working on Q1 of 2021, which is so bizarre to say, um, yeah. is is a, a self-serve research model for Figma. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Fig, one of the amazing things about Figma is that we have incredibly excited and loyal users. And um, so yeah. because of that, like, people want to talk to us all the time and we want to talk to people all the time. So a lot of our, we have a lot of like non-researchers, people in product and designers and engineers are very active on our Twitter feed um, and our social Mm. media and they talk to people. So they're already kind of doing their own informal research. So we want to make sure that they're given all the tools and all the support that they need to be able to do it in a way that respects the process, that respects the participants, and really, you know, gets um, as as good of information as we can out of that. So um, yeah, going forward, I think that a lot of, we're I think we're going to start with the people that are already involved in the research process. So involving mm-hmm. like the product team and the engineers and the designers. But hopefully, I mean, the goal is to be able to expand the program out so that anyone that wants to talk to a customer at Figma will have the ability to do so. That That's really good. Wow. Yeah. Lots of opportunity there. That's, um, that's really cool to hear. Yeah. So one of the questions we're going to wrap up in, in a, in a few minutes here, but sure. one of the questions that comes to mind is just thinking through, you know, what it's like to, uh, to be considering a research ops role in light of what you've said, right? Like, um, you know, research ops is not this, it's not the same across uh, all companies, right? Like there's different models of UX research, which sort of brings out different um, different approaches for research ops. Um, and I guess if you've had these two experiences, which, which are really informative, uh, as I think of someone who is considering a research ops role, you know, reading that job description, and thinking about whether this could be a fit or not. Do you have any sort of, having having had these two experiences, like a framework or a way of thinking about it where, you know, you could, you could help someone thinking through a new role, like maybe with the strengths they have or desires they have for the type of work they want to do uh, and, and sort of based, based on what kind of model of research ops is out there? Like, I guess, what kind of advice would, would you give based on your experiences? Yeah, um, that's also a really good question. I think, you know, and self-examination is very important, not only in our everyday lives, (laughs) but in every aspect of our life. Um, And Mm -hmm. I I think sometimes it's really easy to uh, think like, yeah, I can do all those things. But I think it's even more important to be very honest with yourself. And one of my uh, strengths and weaknesses is that I always think that I can do more than I actually can. I always take on more than I can. And so I think knowing yourself very intimately in those ways of like, what is, what are your thresholds? Um, and how much can you actually accomplish? Um, because there, and, and also like, depending on which where you're wanting to apply or wanting to go to, is it a research ops team of one or is it, you know, a more mature research ops team with where you're going to be more of a, you're going to have more of a special, uh, like a, a, what am I trying to say? Uh, a unique function. Like a specialized role. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Expe- yeah, I was, I was saying it. Yeah. Specialized role rather than this kind of catch all. Um, mm-hmm. 
because those are going to be very, very different experiences. So are you someone, if, if it's going to be a, um, a one, you know, a one person role, like, are you someone that can really handle um, working on three or four or five different tracks at one time yeah. and truly being mm -hmm. honest with yourself? Cause you will go crazy if you're not, you know, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, to be honest with you, I kind of fall between those lines. I'm someone that likes mm -hmm. to tell myself, yeah, I can handle five tracks. And at the end of the day, I get it done, but I go a little crazy in the meantime. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> it's a tough one. It's definitely a tough one, especially like as the, and I feel like you and I have this experience as a research ops team of ones where, you know, I think there's lots of conversations I've had with folks who are leading teams. And even though we sort of have similar titles, like you've, you've sort of had this experience with your two roles, like it's different jobs, right? Yeah, and very. you need need different strengths different inclinations and and i think that advice of being like truthful yeah. <laughs> to being true to yourself like because it it's gonna it's gonna come up really quick in terms of whether this is a role that you can where you can thrive or yes. a role where you're, you're gonna struggle and yeah um, and i feel like being a team of one exposes that oh my god you have nowhere to hide really. nowhere to hide <laughs> <laughs> you're like out in the open no cover yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I think also oh. with that, I mean, making sure that you know what the right questions are to ask when, because not only are is someone interviewing you, you are interviewing the company as well. And so, if mm -hmm. your manager, you know, like making sure that you are right fit with that manager, um, and obviously communication is an ever evolving thing, but making sure that that your manager knows where you are, you know, and and where you'd like to go so that if it is a, a slower growth process, then they they expect that and they and they have your back with that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe the last one here as you wrap up, this has been a really, really insightful, really great convo. Um, you know, the there's a lot of people who are interested in research ops. Like, uh, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what your email and LinkedIn are like, but I definitely hear from someone every week asking a question about this research ops thing. This would be cool. What's it like? We have just talked about how it can be different for different companies. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe this is a bit of a tough question, but I'm curious if you have like one piece of advice for people who are thinking about either like launching this role internally at mm -hmm. uh, at their company or considering applying for a job to start up a research ops within a company, what piece of advice would you give to someone like this? Yeah. Um, I, I would say if, if it's someone internally trying to spin it up, numbers and data will always rule, I think. And mm -hmm. so if you can show evidence to how you can make that team more efficient or help that company ultimately achieve its goals, you know, through research and then making that process easier through ops, um, I think that you'll, you'll be able to garner a, a, a more compelling case for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. Something I've learned, I'm a very feelings driven person. But something I've learned is like, no one cares about your feelings, <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like, you have to show the evidence. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then, yeah, and then as far as um, someone on the outside, I would say like, 
trying to draw from your past experiences, especially when they have nothing to do with research or research operations, being like, hey, I was in theater, so therefore, oh, and also I stage managed. So therefore, stage managing is kind of like research ops because you are dealing with like 20 different pieces of things that you have to coordinate in order for this production to run. And I'm really good at at these different pieces of the process. And this is how they relate to research ops. So being able to find those connections in in your other skill sets uh, that, that go beyond research ops, I think is really helpful. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you learned something new and helpful from that discussion with Annie. And I'm excited for our next episode with Mitch Hollis. Mitch launched Research Ops at Ticketmaster. We talk about his diverse experiences leading up to this launch and lessons learned. Now, if you want to keep learning more about Research Ops, please subscribe. The reason I created this podcast is to share knowledge. So if you're curious about different ways to scale research at your company, hit the subscribe button and I'll catch you next time.